Do you want to go into stasis for the rest of the trip and forfeit 18 months' wages? Do you want to listen to Dwarf Cast by Ganymede and Titan? Choose. Awoga, this is a Dwarf Cast. Hello and welcome to the latest, much-delayed edition of the Dwarfcast Book Club, brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the series in which we reread, dissect and discuss the Red Dwarf novels bit by bit, and today we're continuing our journey through Last Human, polishing off the remainder of Part 2, Time Fork. I'm Evil Ian Symes, and joining me are Evil Jonathan Capps. Hello, ha ha ha. <laughs> and Evil Danny Stevenson. Hello. <laughs> And we also have a big pile of comments submitted by our evil listeners slash readers who have been joining in the discussion over on evilwww.ganymede.tv. Bold slash evil. Oh, I'm going to have to, to do something with that now. <laughs> As usual, you'll need to be up to date with your reading before listening, and if you need a recap of what happened last time, here's the story so far. An ape woman gives birth to a freakish offspring. Millions of years later, Lister is imprisoned in Siberia, forced to endure his own personal hell. Meanwhile, Lister wakes up from deep sleep, as per sirens, but is interrupted by a woman with an invisible appendectomy scar having sex with him. It's Kachansky, and with the pair successfully returned from the backwards universe via the Omnizone, the crew of Starbug come across another, identical Starbug, which has been destroyed. They investigate and the cat finds his own decapitated head. After Lister finds a destroyed Lightbee in the remains of a dismembered Crichton, he follows a trail of blood to find a dying Kachansky in deep sleep. She tells the crew that whoever did this has taken her Lister alive, but dies soon after. <laughs> Ask yourself! Having figured out they're in the wrong dimension, the crew set out to find the alternate Lister, only for a suction beam to pull them down onto a Galf-populated asteroid. After being arrested and buying their freedom with sperm, a valued commodity for the mostly infertile Gelfs, they discover Alternative Lister is imprisoned in Siberia for crimes he's destined to commit, a bit like Minority Report. So that's where we pick up the rest of Part 2, which, just as a reminder, we arbitrarily split in two just to make it easier to divvy up the book. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we, we return with Lister in Siberia. Which does still feel quite better than life. In the way that it's described, well, initially, anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, yes, the thing of him finding himself in the wrong afterlife, initially, reminded me vaguely of uh, the Good Place, without wanting to give away too many spoilers of that particular sitcom, which is a very good sitcom. It is very good. I mean, this is almost certainly better than life technology repurposed, right? I mean, it's never explicitly mentioned, but like it's mm. got all the abilities to actually, you know, to to know what your heaven is. So also extension know what your hell is but i would question like so we find out that it's not lister's hell it's someone else's but like even if you really hated spanish architecture (laughs) it's still a pleasant place to be in and it's a nice bed to sleep on not if you hate it i mean if he hates if he hates comfy beds then i mean i guess he's axis syndrome maybe he's completely opposite maybe that's what axis syndrome holograms are they're just completely opposite you'd have to really hate spanish architecture yeah like really hate it and really hate oh well he's vegetarians fair enough like you know having loads of meats everywhere and nothing else but i mean he's got a comfy bed he could just lie in his comfy bed close his eyes not look at the spanish architecture and have a good night's sleep <laughs> Or maybe that's just me. Maybe it's like as long as I can sleep, I'm happy. Is probably a bit of yeah. <laughs> saying more about me than I. <laughs> well, we've long established in this that um, 
we assumed Rob and Doug, but at least definitely Doug now uh, just hates the Spanish uh, based on various things in the first two books. So this is just a continuation of that. They think they're all lassos. <laughs> Very good. I've got a note here, again, talking about revealing things about myself. So way back when I first watched Body Swap, because there's a joke in here about um, Lister has a, a ginormous dick. <laughs> And it reminds me that in like you know looking down and being like suddenly shocked at the size of it, and which reminded me of um, body swap. Actually, no. What am I thinking of? Am I have I misremembered this? It's not that he's got a massive dick. It's the fact that he just he has still got one. Which oh sorry, sorry yeah. So the joke in body swap is that Lister presumably is massive. But when I first watched body swap, I thought Rimmer was shocked because he was trying to find it and he couldn't find one. <laughs> that's like that was my initial kind of like oh that's what that joke is <laughs> there was a forum thread on GNT a couple of years ago of people arguing about what that joke in body swap meant <laughs> whether it was that it was massive or that it was just like disgusting and like bad hygiene and dirty misshapen and that's what Rimmer was shocked about that was my takeaway from that yeah it was just a fucking mess we should ask Rob on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> or all of the above yeah but yeah, this this book is just incredibly obsessed with penises and spunk. <laughs> it really is. It really like, it's is. definitely an affliction that both Rob and Doug have. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, not, not, neither of them are, um, are without their constant genital references. Even the food ha- seems to have penises because the the smell of dead gravy sodomized both his nostrils when he's actually in his real hell. <laughs> But I highlighted that mainly because the phrase dead gravy is perfect. Yeah. Gravy goes bad and old in a way that nothing else does, I feel like. Like gravy that is an hour old and cold is like is one of the most offensive substances in the world. You ever notice that? Like just even the thought of it makes me a little bit. It it kind of turns to jelly, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes to goes to absolutely. It kind of just stiffens because of all the fat content. Yeah. But then, but warm, fresh gravy is one of the best things. So, you know, that's the, the, the gravy, the axis of gravy there. <laughs> gravy is left to congeal. <laughs> so I said way back, way back when we were talking about um, escaping better than life in Better Than Life, that there was a scene of, of Lister waking up and having his morning routine in what he thought was real life, but turned out to be better than life one last time, trying to keep him in there of just like, you know, everything being perfect. Reminded me of this scene mm. of him waking up and everything being a bit unnervingly perfect. Yeah. Waking up and it being a false thing. Yeah. And, to wake up again. and describing describing fridges being like clean and full of things. Yeah. Which is a, a very evocative thing. Like, um, because everyone has dirty, empty fridges, <laughs> and they actually want full, clean fridges. But what it does have is a largely sprout-based diet, um, yeah. which is a carryover from quarantine. Yeah. And also, there's a carton of dog's milk just to get all the classics in. Yeah, you get it's a bit, of, it's a mishmash. <laughs> and there you go. There's a series five borrow. That's a, a rare series five pillage. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the underrepresented ones in book form until well. We'll come to other things in future <laughs> podcasts. But meanwhile, in Lister's personal hell, Neil Diamond is in the uh, shit musician chair at this time, Yeah, <laughs> along with James Last. 
Yeah, there's um, there wasn't a comment about that. That's actually dated it a little bit because he's not in that chair, and soon after that, he wasn't in that chair. Like it can go down as one of those weird targets. I think that doesn't quite <laughs> ring yeah. true. Literally didn't age well, like right, right, <laughs> yeah. kid. Yeah, but, like, no, like, everyone likes a bit of uh, sweet Caroline, surely. <laughs> red red wine was originally Neil Diamond. That's my Neil Diamond fact. Seriously? Oh, was it? Yeah, Red Red Wine by UB40 is a cover, and Neil Diamond did the original. Wow, this not is not in the not in the same style at all. UB40 did a reggae version of it. Yeah, yeah. Loads of examples of of stuff like that. Of like, uh, oh, that song was originally, you know, X. I mean, Manic Monday is written by Prince. I feel yeah, like I mean, most of these stories are about Prince as well. Yeah. It's either Prince or the Bee Gees is usually is. The, the person behind most of the yeah. songs that ever have got written. <laughs> His prints are all over it. Ha ha! <laughs> Fingerprints? No, I don't think so. <laughs> don't be so very glib. <laughs> and speaking of music in hell, um, there's a line that says Lister put on some RBS, and I had no fucking idea what that meant at all. I was like, Royal Bank of Scotland? That was the only <laughs> thing I could think of that meant RBS. I even Googled RBS, RBS music, RBS band, and there was nothing. Until, thankfully, I read a comment uh, which Clem pointed out uh, that it means Rastabilly Skank, uh, but it took him a while to get that as well. What is it yeah. with Doug and acronyms, man? He's he does it in the, he's doing it now in like series 12 and, and, and Promised Land there's loads of oh we're picking up an SSL what the fuck's an SSL yeah. <laughs> it's like he's doing it now like he's not even like there's no mention of that word before he says it as an acronym it's like you just expect it to know what he means and it, it, there's loads of them yeah as Pete Part 3 says the use of initialisms gets a little out of hand in this novel see the introduction of YD later on for no reason whatsoever I think that's in the, the bit we haven't read yet so um, yeah. we'll come to that but yeah yeah, pointless acronyms. I don't know if that's like, what is that? A nineties future thing? Like, I don't I know. Don't, I think I think it's more like like the, just the need to sort of like make it sound like you know what you're talking about. If you can <laughs> sort of, you know, if you can sh- shrink it down. No, you yeah, know when some people yeah. like know, like they assume other people know what they know, and then they say it, and then and it's they, like yeah. Like it's sort of inferred knowledge where it's like it's not like a bragging thing. It's just like a, I don't know. Other people don't know this kind of thing. Yeah. So it's you know you, you say it in a way that's like you know RBS is like oh it's meant to be like a shorthand. I don't know whether that shorthand just ended up getting into the book rather than. Yeah, I guess like um, if Rastabilly Skank was real, then his fans would refer to him as RBS, like Ocean Colour Scene and OCS. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess. Yeah, we always refer to like the Hitchhiker, it's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but there's a reason why that's concatenated because it's a fucking pain in the ass to write out. H two G two, or T T H G T G G G G G G. Oh, as all the cool kids are calling it. It's it's just one of them niggling little things that keep popping up with with Doug's writing that kind of throws you out every time you do it. Pete Part Three also pointed out. You mentioned that there's this chapter really hammers home the similarities with Better Than Life. Uh, but it's written in a style that's more similar to the earlier novels, so that's to its advantage. Uh, but that it's quite hard to imagine Lister's actual cyberscape would be his most feared living quarters, considering that when we first meet the guy, he was living in a luggage locker. Yeah, I think that 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 is the problem with this concept of, like, if it's supposed to be their worst hell, then it would be more abstract than this, I guess. So maybe mm. it's a bit like Better Than Life, and that Better Than Life has to be grounded in realism in order for it to 
to get yeah. tucks into your brain. And so the same with hell is that it does have to be rooted in something familiar with elements of comfort that get subverted, basically. He doesn't mind a bit of dinge, but like he's got no control over it. Like he can't control the fact that everything he all the pieces of clothes he wears are gonna make him itch, you know, because they've got hair in them yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just it's shitter than life. Y- yeah, shitter than life, and he can see like he can like this is a normal life that he that he's experiencing, but he's not allowed to experience it in the way he wants to, and and that's worse than just literally being in a literal hell of just constant torture and pain or whatever. Hmm. Uh, International debris points out. Surely a personal hell would be much worse than this. It's an improvement on being homeless in the freezing cold while everyone else is comfortable and refuses to help you, for example. It seems trivial for the sake of humour, but at the expense of the story, which seems to suit the book, I suppose. Mm. We'll take funny bits where we can... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, you could could get deep with this. Like, Lister was obviously in a bad situation on Mimus, but he was kind of... He had a plan, and he was taking things into his own hands. I don't know, maybe just the knowledge that you're in hell, that you're in prison is kind of is, mm. is part of it as well and like being free even if it's in a shit situation is better than yeah the, la- the lack of hope yeah the lack of hope knowing that your conditions are never going to get better and that this is it and there's going to be no respite yeah exactly yeah yeah because yeah. the, the the game is rigged like you can't yeah you can't yeah. think tomorrow i'm gonna clean like you know i'm, I'm gonna fix this situation i'm gonna clean the fridge because you clean the fridge and it'll just go back to how it was before or whatever like everything yeah. that's making you miserable is irreversible Meanwhile, in not hell, in reality, with our crew, they have a bit of emo hook. Yeah, yeah a there's a little bit of emo hook at this point. Yeah. Little... Kachansky nips, the emo to, nips to the loo. She just needs to powder her nose or something. <laughs> um... Yeah. <laughs> Again, <laughs> this is only the seventh chapter of the the part of the book that's set in you know contemporary. This is what's happening to the crew right now. And it's the second time that Kachansky has just been left behind or like written out for no reason whatsoever, just so that they they can have the funny jokes that they had in the TV series with the same people, yep. and not give those lines to Kachansky or give her something else to do. She's just leave her behind for no reason whatsoever. She's more of a hindrance than anything else at the moment, which makes you think, why bother? Why bother having her there? Yeah, I mean, once is doing this once is kind of forgivable if you needed to get, like, certain bits of Legion in there, but, like, this, it's not important to the overall story that this happens to him. (laughs) It's unpleasant, and, like, you could have maybe invented something else, I guess. But it's frustrating because when when Kachansky works in this book, as we've discussed before, it, it really does work well, mm. and so more of that, like you know, would would have been great rather than like just putting it to one side and giving us a bit of an episode we've already watched. It's not a straight adaptation of Emo Hawk, in that it doesn't uh, involve the Emo Hawk itself, but it's, it involves the Kinetowawi, who are described here as a cross between hippos and gorillas. Which I don't know. I can't really see hippo in the no. TV version in Ainsley Harriet and um, <laughs> Stephen Wickham. I think that's more of a, a more of a, um, a a limitation of realistic prosthetics that could, that could happen. Like if <laughs> they just got some off the shelf. Yeah, masks. because really, what the Kinetowawi are are no. I mean, they do kind of have the facia. They do kind of have the nose, don't they? The hippo nose, but just very kind of humanized like at least with this description of this of this combination of get gelf i can kind of um i can visualize them which is not true yeah. of others or necessarily no. true of others 
maybe because I'm kind of halfway there from seeing them on TV. But like, yeah, you can imagine a hippo gorilla. Sure, why not? Yeah, it's better than whatever it was last time. It just had the, the legs of locust and, and everything. And everything. Yeah, uh, and a bit later on as well, like the dolo chimps. <laughs> because it's at this point that, um, as part of their trade with the Kinitawawi, instead of getting a oxygen unit. Uh, they're after things to help them break into Siberia where they meet and purchase all these rogue droids. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I like the the army of rogue droids. They're good. It's good. It's a much needed like sort of bit of lightness. <laughs> we don't get many moments of kind of just out and out like daft comedy, I guess. Like, you know, that brand of Red Dwarf's daft, daft comedy. And, and International Debris mentions this, but like the, the computer virus itself is a, is very 90s. Not only does this virus cause um, physical damage, like plumes of smoke and explosions and whatnot, <laughs> that can be reversed, but um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, the Kinetowari says, like, uh, mo- modem it to a computer. Uh, the, the computer virus is enjoyable in the 90s. The cat modems it to a computer, which explodes. Lovely. And yeah, that's <laughs> 90s retrofuturism. <laughs> Uh, it's a rare example of the internet existing in the Red Dwarf universe, as pre- discussed True. in a previous podcast. Except that modem is a verb. Well, it's a local area network. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not on the web still. Yeah. Well, modem stands for modulator demodulator. So really, all it is is a a, a gate, uh, like a, a communication uh, gate. It's a what a con- uh, transducer. Sort of like the, the same way that like a, a microphone is, it basically just turns one form of electricity. Into right. One. Yeah. So um, I think yeah, using a modem for this is probably correct, but I don't think you can. One does not modem. <laughs> one does not simply modem. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good use of the kinetoari. Like it's kind of nice to like again to like because since we're dealing with girls to have beings that we're familiar with and kind of having them as as this very technologically well, you know technologically advanced or just like you know very very resourceful um group of people it's quite um it's they're, they're quite interesting here and they still like levi jeans carried that over yeah <laughs> but, but it kind of... a, a vial of spunk which pisses him off <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so that's how they veer back into emo hook territory of setting up the fact that list has to marry the chief's daughter because they offend them by offering them sperm I just like Rimmer's Rimmer's when he's like like gleefully. Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> this is a slightly sitcommy thing. Like it almost feels like Curb Your Enthusiasm, where like if anyone had just was slightly reasonable, it wouldn't be an issue. If the Kinetoi was just like, oh, this happens quite a lot because the the, the asteroid next door, they need this. We're, yeah. we're just not like them so you know have you got anything else but or maybe they're just using this like to their advantage pretending to be offended so they can you know yeah <laughs> they're hustling them marry off a daughter i do like the way as well that it, it, it's split across two chapters and it works in exactly the same way as the tv version where it's basically the bicycle joke and Lister says oh no way forget it I'm not doing it and then it cuts to him at the ceremony it does that it does the jump cut via one chapter chapter? ending and the next chapter beginning (laughs) (laughs) it's just like a a small time jump between the two chapters oh I do have a point here actually that um, so we discussed in the last episode is that whether the other Gelfs knew that the sperm was Lister and the cats and mm. here, before they realise that they're making a faux pas, Lister says, tell them it's mine. So, like, presumably that means that 
the previous Gelfs knew where it came from and that it wasn't Gelfs sperm. So there you go. If only there was a part for me to make small points later on. (laughs) 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 They get the virus, they get the antidote chip, which I think we'll get onto this, but I'm still not entirely sure why they why they have that or why that's needed <laughs> uh, or like why they would have expected need to need the antidote chip but i think we'll, we'll get onto that they've got 10 yeah. droids which they just went for like the shit like the shit droids presumably they were the best of the bunch yeah and i've got a note here that says Chekhov's astro strippers <laughs> i also have a note that says Chekhov's astro strippers <laughs> No, nothing nothing that pays off in this part, so we'll, we'll pop that one in our back pocket, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, Chekhov's electricity killing virus as well, but I guess that's kind of like, we know what they're... It's more like to. Chekhov's electricity restoring antidote, because, yeah. again, like, if you're going to take down Siberia, why would you ever want to put it back, unless mm. you knew it was going to cause problems with other things, <laughs> as we will yeah. find out, you know. It seems... Yeah, it's a- unnaturally um, inserted into the story, maybe. This this could probably go as a small point as well, but I mean, the 12 and inverted commas 12 droid that Lister picks out. Oh, it is 12, like, sorry. Yeah. When you pick out when he had one that has no upper body whatsoever, <laughs> one's just a pair of legs, one's just a head and one's just a hand, I would argue <laughs> that's probably all parts of one. <laughs> <laughs> not separate droids. This is like someone saying, "I'll pay you twenty quid," and like, uh, like tearing a tenner in two. And like, there you go. It's, it's that kind of strange logic. They're just like shortchanging them already. Maybe mechanoids are like earthworms. If you chop them in half, you get two. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly invalidate the guarantee. <laughs> um, I think we've um, been putting it off long enough. Oh dear. Whenever I watch Emo Hawk and there's the scene with um Lister and the Gelf Bride having gone back to the hut. Do you know what I always think this this scene could really do with a a gratuitously uh described um scene of Lister getting date raped um and ejaculating inside the Gelf. Inside a hip. That's that's what I want from that it's scene. Really, really grim. Yeah, <laughs> it's really not nice at all. There's it's a YouTube just... channel, and I've actually forgotten the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes. And um, it, it's basically about kind of problematic tropes in entertainment, mainly mm. films and stuff like that. And the, the, they've done a whole series on um, male sexual assault as a punchline. Yeah. Um, so this is this is part of a long, long kind of tradition of that of just like it's it's a really easy, like shocking gag to do. Um, specifically, yeah, male sexual assault as a punchline. It's it's very interesting. It's one of the guys that co-produced uh, Feminist Frequency with um, Anita Sarkeesian, and it's it's quite interesting. So there you go. <laughs> Doug's not the only one to do yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah, unequivocally, that is what happens. Like he's given a drink, he passes out, and he wakes up, and someone is having sex with him. Yeah, yeah, not very nice, is it? Um, to to hilarious consequences. Also, there's unless I've misread this, there's a massive timeline problem here <laughs> because he takes the drink, and it's um, it's described as you know him being knocked out and and the the effects that it has on him. And there's a line here that says, um, which certainly explained his behaviour over the next few weeks. However, it's played like he 
almost immediately like he wakes up runs away and they're 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 still on Starbug. Like they haven't been waiting a few weeks. Like it's it's played as if he just immediately escapes. Like did I? I don't know if I've just like read that wrong. Oh right, you're saying you're saying that like the few weeks has happened on the Kinetoawi. Yeah, yeah, he's. Oh no, 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 no. No, the the way I read that is that basically just like in hindsight, it explains his behavior over the next two. Well, weeks. he doesn't really do anything. No, I know, I know, but just like the fact that it's so strong that it has just such a long-lasting effect on him, like that's how it felt to him. But I mean, the the, the only thing, the only redeemable thing about this entire chapter, which is <laughs> thankfully very short, is um. When he actually comes out, bollock naked, <laughs> bollock naked, <laughs> and I like that is that is actually a fairly funny improvement on that idea yeah. <laughs> of him yeah, absolutely that, running out the completely. <laughs> I forgot my trousers. That Lister was in the nip. I mean, obviously, it's dealt with very quickly in, in Emo Hawk. It's like she goes into the. He decides he's had enough. He's going to get out. He begs it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the whole idea of him going out completely naked is like that's an amazing image. <laughs> yeah, the the comments on this are, uh, are split. Dave says, "I'm convinced this chapter only exists to make the sex scene at the start of the book feel less erg in comparison." Is the broken language at the end of the penultimate paragraph meant to be the text equivalent of Lister's O face? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it is, it, and that's that's, is. That's, that's 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 just unpleasant. Whereas Stillian says, "I think this does a decent job of expanding on the scenes in Holland in Emo Hawk. The sex scene is amusing, and it's something that couldn't really have been shown in a BBC sitcom. Though it's nice to hypothetically imagine Robin Doug submitting a treatment to Janet Street Porter." Many elaborate and expensive Kinetowari costumes required in order that a besuited Stephen Wickham may bring Craig Charles to climax. <laughs> I have not heard this version in the audio book, and it just sounds. Um, like I was trying to remember, like, was did this make it into the abridged audio book? And I, I'm it not kind of has to, doesn't it? Doesn't it have to in order to make sense of the plot? They have to. Um, no, you could mind cut, you, not all of it. They you could, could cut, cut it out. I think yeah. um, you could just. You have could him very happily cut out the sex scene. Yeah, yeah. Actually, like, yeah, you could just, just literally just say the two elders sat in front of the open fire, and then he just started running out. You could easily just jump straight to that as if it's immediate. yeah, like yeah. I yeah, feel like if Craig Charles had like read this TV show, if Craig yeah, Charles had read yeah. this, I'd be in some sort of therapy at this point, and I'm not. So, I think. Well, I can distinctly remember him doing the sex scene at yes, the start of the book. Exactly. Okay, so yeah. okay. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I didn't get this far. So he's yeah. saying. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the two weeks thing because it certainly explains his behaviour over the next few weeks suggesting to me that it explains his behaviour of, I mean, he's he's basically blaming himself for allowing, you know, the sex to continue and for like, you know the things that happen, happen No, I, I, I like, this is the only time I'm ever going to say this, I wouldn't read too much into that line <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into any line in this chapter <laughs> I mean, you're never going to hear me say that ever again because that that's not my usual fucking murder operandi. <laughs> but I, would, I, I just, I genuinely think it's meant to be just like a. I don't think it's meant to be as important as you're flagging it as. I think it's literally just a. You know, it, it's meant to be that strong that you just like. Yeah. You, know, you go blind for a week, but that you know, it's that whole thing of just it's so. Maybe, maybe, maybe is is it explained later on? But yeah. It, yeah, the alternative explanation is that this sex scene lasts for a few weeks. Yeah, but that, that's the thing is that it doesn't feel like a few weeks has passed after he's escaped. It feels like a few hours has passed after he escapes. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets back on Starbug, and then the adventure continues. But maybe Lister, like, Lister, Lister does things where he feels like he's drunk, ah, right, or okay, he feels like he's making impaired decisions. Is yeah, like his decision making is off, and um, he's you know stumbling around Fair doing enough. stuff for the next. In few that weeks. case, it's an it's an incomplete uh, thought. I would I would argue. It's well, it's it's basically some foreshadowing attempt. But it doesn't yeah. really pay off yeah. as far as I remember. Well, maybe it's because obviously, like everyone's read thus far now, and so we know that the other Lister is evil, and that there is some bits where it's written that's where it's deliberately ambiguous as to which oh, Lister you're seeing, and yeah, which one's doing the the evil things and which one's the goody. So maybe it's part. It, it sort of ties into that. It's like a little teaser of Lister does things. Lister may do things that are out of character in the next few weeks. Got you. Yeah, bit of a fake out. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm happy with that. I'll drop it. I'll drop it. All right. Okay. <laughs> drop it. <laughs> he says that sex is something that he hasn't been doing a lot of recently. But he did it at the start of this book. Yeah, he has a girlfriend. Yeah, and they've they've grown young together. Yeah, and with the backwards universe being how it is, they're now at the start of their relationship. So they were doing it a lot more often. <laughs> yeah, than they were thirty years ago. Yeah, again, that that feels like a line or a thought that Lister in the episode would have had. Yeah, like yeah. Kachansky's literally like she's she's popped out of the unreality bubble or something. Like she just doesn't exist for this fucking chapter. Yeah, <laughs> after Lister's escape, that's. Basically, over the course of the next few chapters is the break-in to Siberia. Yes. Which is when it starts to pick up a little bit for me. I think yeah. because it, it's original, they've done all the bits where they you know, pilfered bits from other episodes in order to get to this point, and everything so far has been building up to this big sort of action sequence. And it's something that's, you know, like I say, it's, it's original to this book. It's brand new, yep. and it's quite exciting. It's well-written bit of action. It's tense as fuck because they. It's not obvious whether they're going to get the virus off or not. You know, for Siberia itself and the the, the ticking clock of like, they've been found. They just need to, you know, land quickly before they get like shot out of the sky. And then, you know, trying to find a place to modem it into, and and then <laughs> you know the tense cat and mouse after that of the you know the dollar chimps hunting them down. It's really yeah, yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, and when the Dolo chimps are so close to finding the Oblivion computer that's hooked up to the telegraph, yeah, pole, that's that's really good. Which is after Crichton has his leg chopped off. <laughs> He's after having his leg chopped off. <laughs> There's a bit of kind of quite an internal monologue, isn't there? Or internal dialogue after his uh, after his leg is chopped off, like the stuff. About yeah, his... which I really like yeah. because he's a robot. His internal monologue is literally just like an internal system check. Yeah, like a, a readout of what's going on. And one of the things was he checked his self-esteem level, absolutely zero, excellent. At least that was still normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that speaks to Crichton really well, I think. Dave says the stuff in Crichton's head is fun here too. Um, even if it is slightly tragic that. He he has zero self-esteem. Still, the reasoning that he can't kill himself because it would be too untidy is a good gag and rooted in character. Mm. I would agree. And that's something that always comes up with Crichton, actually, about like killing himself or like needing to be tidy about it, like unpacking, like uh, packing himself in a case that like, is a mechanoid thing, you know, <laughs> in that in <laughs> <Yeah>. that uh, <laughs> classic episode into the glue. I like right at the start of this that Lister, in the middle of this dangerous rescue mission that's about to commence, pauses and eats a load of cereal. <laughs> something to do. Exactly. 
Um, there's a lot of comments about actually this. This is not really feeling like Red Dwarf as well, which is, I mean, you took as a positive of it being a bit, you know, something a bit fresh. But like, yeah, Dave again said like a lot of this stuff feels very dwarfy, getting into the realm of generic sci-fi. I'm not sure so much of it's generic, but just you could transplant this situation into into other stories and obviously a lot of what's strong about red dwarf is kind of unique to red dwarf as well because it tends mm. to be rooted in the comedy and the comedy is unique because the comedy is character comedy so as soon as you kind of get a bit more serious i guess yeah then you do start to drift towards the generic a little bit more well i've always sort of defended last human to some extent in the same kind of way that i now defend back to earth in that while obviously i would prefer something that was just 100 percent unadulterated red dwarf mm. if you just accept that this isn't quite red dwarf as you know it and judge it on its own merits and take it yeah. as you find it it might be a bit more of a generic sci-fi novel than the other three red dwarf novels yeah. but as a sci-fi novel in its own right it's pretty decent yeah. it's not ideal but if you make a few concessions and say like okay well let's forget the potential of what it could be if there was, if there was more dwarfiness attached and just enjoy it for what it is mm-hmm. it's not bad and it's not like any other piece of red dwarf and I think that can be an advantage at times of um, it having its unique voice and its kind of unique feeling. It's also a massive disadvantage of times, uh, such as when incongruous sex scenes were inserted, <laughs> as previously discussed. I think um, judging Red Dwarf <clears throat> on that level of, of like, you know, uh, if you accept that this is slightly different, it's maybe something we're going to have to do more and more of as we're showered with the contents of Rob Grant's Butsky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, with whatever may, that may be. <laughs> They're the AA adverts, right? They're not strictly... <laughs> if you just take them as, you know... I mean, they're genuinely funny, so... Um, also, towards the start of this chapter, Chekhov's Magruder. <laughs> yep. Not the last Chekhov uh... <laughs> thing, either. Uh, Magruder just gets mentioned out of nowhere. Um, just remember that, kids. Yeah. And also establishes Rimmer's complete lack of bravery and how he'd never sacrifice himself for other people. So just put a bookmark in that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's probably just a, a throwaway line. I don't, I don't yeah. think it will be that relevant. Don't read so much into it. No. I mean, do later, but not now. So dollar chimps are introduced in this bit, and... I can't, again, this is another one that I can't visualise. I just can't visualise them. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I read Dolochim. I mean, they're dolphins, right? <laughs> I think they've got dolphin heads and chimp bodies, right? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're part locust as well. So it's Dolochimp, right? It's right, just, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. So the locust bit, yeah, that's it. That's the bit that like kind of just short circuits. Me. Like, oh, yeah, great. I just cannot imagine that anymore. And therefore, this book... <laughs> which is uh, books are supposed to entirely exist in your head, has fundamentally failed in what it's supposed to do, which is to <laughs> exist in your imagination. Um, so all you need to know is that there are three animals fused together somehow. There are some that, animals. That's what they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd have an easy time imagining them all in, like, like they'll all be humans in, like, I don't know, stormtrooper suits or something, or something similar to that, and, like, just visualise that, because you, my brain just short circuits and just... Cannot imagine what this thing is supposed to be, so just imagine something else entirely instead. Maybe they are in stormtrooper outfits and with the helmets on, with the helmets in the shape of dolphins. With their little that way. snouts poking out the front. <laughs> I'd hate to be the person that has to design something that would, like, one size fits all. <laughs> but yeah, the, the description of it is um, that he's a, 
the matte grey bottle-headed snout of the dolphin, the spindly legs of the locust, and the arms and upper body parts of the chimp. So, my God, talk about a short straw in terms of the legs of the locust <laughs> having to support the weight of all of that above it. It's scaled up. They're probably incredibly strong. Oh, yeah, they're, they're insects, aren't they? Yeah, of yeah. course they are, because they're stupidly strong, aren't they? Yeah, like ants could like lift a, a bus if they were the size of dogs. <laughs> there's, some, there's a fact something along I cannot lines. even pass what you just said to me <laughs> it's like you know an ant could lift the earth if it was the size of a giant well they like is it, how big's the giant relative to its size the weight the yeah. weight of an ant an ant could lift a slightly bigger leaf if it was a slightly bigger ant <laughs> I mean yeah <laughs> Just scale it up, right? Just scale it up. Then it could lift up a hedge. <laughs> Maybe a car. If an ant was the size of a dog, it could lift up a car. I don't know. If, they, if an ant was the size of a car, we'd all be fucked. If it, it could definitely lift up a dog if it was the size of a car. So we know that. <laughs> if an ant drove a car um, whilst drunk, would his career survive? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turns out, amazingly, yeah. Is that our Saturday night takeaway from that? <laughs> the other cars certainly didn't Saturday night drive away from that. <laughs> okay, we don't like the Dolo Chimp. We've established. No, I don't like um, Ant McParland. <laughs> and we don't like Ant McParland. <laughs> but what about Albarogs? Oh, for fuck's sake. Which are in the next bit. Lister is uh, attacked by a platoon of Albarogs. Part albatross, part bear, part frog. <laughs> I mean, someone's just having a laugh at it. Albatross. See, again, like, at least man by a pig can fit together. Like, <laughs> The bear and the frog, maybe, could fit together, but the head of an albatross is just like a, a thing around their necks, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, good. It's seven and a half feet tall as well. Some writers, some of the best writers, have this problem where they, they let their imaginations go a little bit too far with certain things and often with numbers as well so like being seven and a half foot tall for a start or like russell t davis and his hundreds of billions of years or whatever that you know that he throws at things or like you know sometimes there's ideas that are too big (laughs) and that to 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 the point where like um credulity is not kept with the 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 reader i think essentially is the problem i've got here I do like the description, um, and two eyes colder than the doctor's hands. That's, <laughs> that's a good descriptor. That's that's written by a, a man who would have been very recently um, started having his prostate examined. <laughs> examined, <laughs> I should say. Examined. examined. He's had his prostate Tested. examined. <laughs> um, Describe using that. Do the maths. I think that would check out actually almost exactly. <laughs> Like wow, doctors have got cold hands. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take them down a peg or two. So yeah, this is uh, Lister parachuting his way in to Siberia to rescue other Lister with all the rogue droids, uh, who his nicknamed them all after famous disabled people. Basically, <laughs> is that all right? <laughs> I mean, it's the nineties, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't for him. Like, he's supposed to be an enlightened twenty third century guy. So. <laughs> yeah. There's Van Gogh, who is the one without an ear, presumably. Nelson. There's Bader. 
There's a nice bit that I do like of the droids sort of forming a, I was about to say human shield, but a, a droid shield. shield around Lister, which is good, but also reminds me of um, Cassandra yeah. <laughs> when they think Rimmer's going to die so that they can protect him by forming a shield around him and moving him to the diving bell or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah but he falls down the hole. Oh. Yeah, International Debris makes a good point about kind of, so, so Rimmer's managed to chicken out of both parts of this mission. Um, by saying that he has a an allergy to parachutes, despite the fact that he's a hologram, and everyone would immediately know that <laughs> to be a flaw in his story. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're just, at this stage with Rimmer, they're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, what you say so. I can't be asked having the conversation yeah. to be honest. Kelsey Priest. <laughs> so yeah, thankfully the Dolo chimps don't get to the Oblivion computer in time. And the electricity is wiped out mm. uh, because Crichton throws his leg at them, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> but in doing so, they shut off all the artificial gravity. Oh. Yeah. And you really that. think that they should have figured that out before <laughs> hatching the plan to kill all the electrics. That, you know, it's a planet that doesn't have an atmosphere. The gravity the moon, and the oxygen yeah. is artificially generated. You, you, you probably need that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, when I was reading it, I was getting that same thing of going, oh, yeah, the gravity would have turned off as well. And I think that that's exactly the mindset you should be having. Is it, that you know, it's just literally an oversight because it's such it's such an accepted thing. It's just not something you would consider. Yeah, maybe sort of a hash together plan and something where something's slightly going wrong. They're yeah. just taking the gravity for granted, and that, yeah, it, and it is. They didn't appreciate the gravity of the situation because <laughs> if they had and had planned for it, then they would be even more complicit in the multiple murders that they're about to commit. I think it's worth it for the like the. The twist of it is really it's, it's kind of cool and and exciting when as you're reading it. I think it's just like oh shit, there's no gravity. Like that's the, you're not really yeah. expecting that to be how it goes. Well, maybe the thing is that I can buy easily buy Lister and Rimmer and Cat and Crichton hatching a plan and not taking that into account. But I can't quite believe that Kachansky didn't think of that. Yeah, that's true. Because Kachansky is presented as like being ultra competent like yeah no flaws whatsoever in her i don't know how you would isolate any particular thing if it just yeah, yeah it's just gonna go for everything yeah yeah unless it's like oh i factored it in we're just gonna have to deal with that as it happens and we'll just we'll just we'll work it out but then there are some things um that are apparently not affected by gravity um <laughs> so like they're in a, they're in a truck when the gravity goes off and it just the, the process <laughs> the truck was somehow defying gravity yeah. And, then, and like, because they all get, they all start floating off, and they cling onto the truck to keep them grounded. Yeah. And, and somehow. somehow the truck isn't affected until it is. Also, <laughs> the truck is behaving more realistically than literally everyone else in this situation because when you have have no gravity, you only move as a as a counterpoint to another force pushing on you. So if everyone was stood on the floor, mm. unless you were jumping at the point that it turned off, you'd stay on the floor. <laughs> Yeah. And and if you then, you know, nudged the floor, you would start floating up very slowly, but you wouldn't just immediately... Like, there isn't a force outside the moon pulling They're everyone out. They're not sucking out. you up off yeah, the floor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, so the truck is uh, slightly more realistic, and everyone else is the one that... Oh, okay, actually, unless... Actually, no, the moon... It's a moon. It would still have, it would still have enough gravity, surely. It'd have a bit yeah, of gravity. Yeah, it'd have a bit of gravity, because everything does. But anyway, um, our moon has a sixth of the Earth's gravity. Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't just float off. 
so unless this 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 moon is much much smaller than that then um oh i don't know i think in this case like as with a lot of things like all doug had to do was not write the line the truck which somehow was not affected by gravity um yeah. just don't put that in and it, you would have got got away with it i think it would have flown under most people's radars it, it's fine <laughs> bit of dramatic license it's fine however with the gravity off lister gets caught in an upside down lake <laughs> a floating lake on the ceiling that's absolutely terrifying isn't it it is yeah. but it's quite possibly one of my favorite bits of the book and the lateral thinking section in particular that's where it gets going for me this whole section it's just a horrible situation it's like it, like when you're in water let's just say you fall into the water and you don't know which way around you are that's bad enough but if you're in a situation where gravity is not going to help you float or there's no buoyancy and there is no pressure to mm. throw you in one direction or the other and you're literally just whipping around in in situ is horrendous as, mm. a, as a concept it's really 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 nightmarish although again this is a situation where it's not that there's no gravity is that he he's experiencing almost perfect inverse gravity yeah it's it, yeah it is kind of inconsistent because if he was if it was completely if there was no gravity yeah. if he just kicked off the first go he would have just flown straight out of the surface yeah. of the water and then also the water wouldn't the water wouldn't have even pooled at the top anyway it would just start <clears> sticking <throat> to everything don't ruin it i like this bit mm. <laughs> well, again that's a terrifying like idea there's, there's been there's been stories of people you can like you know you're saying you can drown an inch of water it's like there was a situation mm. where someone in space had a, a coolant leak in the helmet, and the problem wasn't that it was like filling up the helmet; it was just because it was it's sticking there. to the face and yeah. they couldn't get it away from. Them. So that's that's the terrifying thing, is that you know the the, the viscosity and the the laws of you know how things stick to you, you'd just be covered in a layer of water and you wouldn't be able to get it mm. off you. I just it's just awful. You mentioned the la- the lateral thinking bit, Ian. Is it <clears throat> that? That especially because that comes quite far into his predicament, so you're already quite stressed reading it, and like you, you're then at the point where you're imagining yourself in his shoes. And for me, at least, when I got to that bit about the lateral thinking, you, you're pretty much primed and ready to like think. There's no way I'd be able to think that clearly in that moment, mm. and so you're kind of impressed with Lister. Basically, you're in a situation where you just like, wow, as what he is doing, how you know, to, 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 to get out of this is actually quite impressive because I would just I would have just given up at this point and drowned. <laughs> Again you've you've heard stories of this where people have been like near death situations and there's like a they they say that when you're with the old say when your life flashed before your eyes, it's like your brain is literally looking for something that can help you in this situation. Right. That's what everyone's saying is that is the process is your brain is literally searching as quick as it can for something that can help you understand how to get out of the situation you found yourself in. It's just a survival mm. thing. So I imagine that's very you know, imagine that's slowed down, it's kind of how Lister's experiencing that yeah, whole thing is probably cool. happening within about, you know, probably about three seconds, but you know, for him it feels like, you know, fifteen minutes. Some comments on this. Dave points out interestingly the drowning scene mentions that it's Lister's least favourite way to die, apart from being eaten alive by rats and gonad grilling. Uh, the rats are obviously a callback to the polymorph of the novels that turns into the rat in BTL. Uh, but amusingly, I realised that the gonad grilling ties in with the Bond-esque death contraption in Cure. Uh, so so when the dwarf cast for Cure complained that Lister's fear came out of nowhere and wasn't set up, it was. It was just set up in a spin-off novel published 22 years earlier. <laughs> oh, honestly, we call ourselves fans as well. Jeez. Isn't it also uh, Entangled? Oh, yeah, the gonad exploder. Yeah. Uh... yeah. 
I mean, obviously, that's just a generic thing that it's not like that's not based on a fear that Lister has or anything. That's just like a I need this off me because it's going to yeah. destroy my testicles. Yeah, which is I would say is probably you know something that anyone who has testicles would 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 have an innate fear of, <laughs> rather than it being specific to Lister. <laughs> yeah, there's not there's not many people who are like. Do you know what? I'd be fine. I'd be fine if it wants. Says, while Lister breaking into the colony ought to be a dramatic idea, I find the whole thing a little too confusing and overwritten. Trying to picture the geographical layout of Siberia is tricky when you have the deformed dozen, Elbarogs, Gelfs, Siberian Guards, and the Dolo Chimp all featuring in this chapter and confusing things. I agree. These distractions make Lister's meeting with his other self and his death a lot less impactful than they ought to have been. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I don't know if that it makes the less less impactful because it's it's, but the geography of it all is quite confusing. Like yeah. it's very difficult to kind of envisage what is actually going on, and it, it, all you need to know is that there's basically a big room and there's some water in it. And in my head, it's almost like a public swimming bath. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. Big, that's exactly what we've got where there's this big runway around the outside of it that's just, you know, it, like, there's a room, you walk in, there's a big round pool, big, you know, walkway around the outside, and then there's some walls maybe yeah. as well. And the worst lifeguards imaginable. Yeah, I mean, they are stall troopers, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I think, yeah, I think it is a fair point that, like, it took me a while to get my head around this. And when I say a while, I mean about 20 years of (laughs) (laughs) reading it and rereading it. And it's like, I think it is a fault of this book for sure that you do have to to do more mental work than you do with any of the previous books. I've read this book many, many times and just reading it casually, but then also for the purpose of writing plot synopses and and stuff like that, and then obviously rereading it for this. And so I'm now familiar with this book enough to have it completely clear in my head what's going on in this section. But it took me a lot of rereads for that to be the case and like you don't have to put that much work into any of no. the other Red Dwarf books. There's an economy of language with the Grant Naylor books that we talked about a lot that in very few words get across an idea or a mental image that doesn't really you get glimpses of that like obviously because it's still Doug it's still 50% of who you know who wrote the original books but it's almost like there is an editing force that is no longer there um obviously yeah. and uh, I'm pretty sure that backwards suffers from similar things as well but I would say still still in is saying that um I find the whole thing a little too confusing and overwritten just put that on the poster for this book <laughs> says the guardian <laughs> okay so Lister dies unequivocally again, again it says <laughs> then he died second book in a row he just keeps dying yeah god and then we get briefly page 126 um we're in Kachansky's head for the first time yeah in the novel um and there's a little bit of sort of the details of their life on backwards world which is good uh, but <laughs> probably could have done it happening a bit, a bit earlier, earlier yeah but it, it's like it's great oh great you know you know this is what we need but then unfortunately as with most things involved in the backwards world as soon as you shine any sort of light on it <laughs> you start to see the cracks <laughs> so yeah. like um that her bla- like there's a blase after- yeah so p part three kachansky seems rather nonchalant about the fact that she recently carried twin boys until lister and her fucked them out of existence delicately put <laughs> Pete. <laughs> <laughs> but that is basically 
you know, that sums things up a little bit. Like she, she's taken that in her stride, but maybe she's had a long time to come to terms with the fact that that was going to happen. But it's a weird one. I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it's it's, it's all, very short, but obviously, like, I wonder whether this is just sort of contractual obligation to kind of make sure that this some explanation to at least carry the story <laughs> off the back of better. no seriously just because the... a contractual obligation with the reader i guess like <laughs> seriously yeah I, th- I think it's yeah. that i think it literally just like it needs to it needs to make sense like oh we, we need to just get rid of the you know the elephant in the room really they also do a little bit of retconning uh that i noticed where they said that they do uh they'd agreed to rendezvous at niagara falls on lister's 24th birthday no, they didn't. They said, we'll meet you at Niagara Falls at noon in 30 years' time or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, and he was... They didn't specify that it was Lister's birthday. Yeah, was but... he 80-odd or something when he was... No, he was in his 60s. He was in his 60s. Oh, yeah. So that that wouldn't that wouldn't line up. They would need another decade to make him in his 20s. I mean, if you think about it too much, <laughs> given that he is about to meet up with alternative Lister, who is um, like physically identical to him in every way Lister is now aged 24 uh, because he's been in backwards world until his 24th birthday uh, how old is Alternative Lister? That's a good yeah, because Alternative the, Lister hasn't yeah. he hasn't spent 30 years on Garbage World uh, has he spent 30 years on Garbage World? has he yeah. God knows but like from the time Lister came out of stasis to now uh, at least 60 odd years have passed um, and in fact, they were in deep sleep as well, so like hundreds of years could have passed. But even so, I'm going to put it out there that I think Doug didn't really think about. It <laughs> yeah, there's, there's other evidence the fact they didn't think about how this would work logically. But you know, yeah, we'll, a bit later we'll, we'll on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the, the chances of them um, stumbling across an alternate version with that when there's been this much timeline fuckery that is happens to be the exact age he is now obviously yeah is very is very small but you also have the incident like if this other lister hasn't been through all the things our lister has like <laughs> our lister must must be showing some signs of like physically of like all the shit he's been through and... well he, he should be missing an ear for a start <laughs> part of his hands missing he's got a hole in his hand he's got his ears oh yeah um, yeah he's, he's, he's got garbage world. unless he's got backwards world damage. somehow like wrote yeah, that yeah. into that timeline and reversed oh. it my brain explodes <laughs> when I'm trying to think about how that yeah. stuff gets fixed uh, Holly Holly worked his magic yeah Holly worked his magic Pish, oh push. yeah the wizard did it <laughs> Holly who by the way if you picked up this book you still have no idea who <laughs> Oh, we 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 missed a comment, but but uh, they did describe Starbug a little bit. Oh, they describe it as oh, green. Yeah. yeah, it's green. Yeah. We know that Starbug is green. There we go. Brilliant. Well done, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, that's that was chapter eleven. Uh, we go into Kachansky's head. We learn a bit about backwards, and they uh, turn the electricity back on. They unleash the antidote, which unexplodes all the <laughs> computers that had exploded, but re-explodes the soft, squishy bodies of hundreds of inmates. And guards, yeah. like the the act of turning off the gravity and turning it back on, I, I was going to say indirectly, directly kills. They're probably all drowned anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, all the drowning. But again, these are these are deaths uh, as a direct result of the actions of our Lister, our Ka- our Kachansky, and our Crichton and our Rimmer. Like they they killed our Bobby, our Bobby. They killed maybe hundreds of beings, some of them human. No, none of them human. But for the sake of one prick. For the sake of one absolute cunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that 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 part of it has never really sat right with me because it, I don't think it's ever acknowledged. No, it hadn't really occurred to me. Must be honest. 
but I mean, they describe they describe the wet plops of people landing in the in the empty basin, like uh, bodies exploding. I don't assume that those people had already drowned. Yeah, I know, but that's still as a result of what they did. But the thing is, the anti-gravity situation is something, again, I don't know whether this is just clear or not, but I always assumed that the artificial gravity was only turned off in Siberia, not across the whole planet. Am I, um, mis- am I misunderstanding that? You might be right, actually. I always assumed that it was within Siberia that the artificial gravity was turned The off. impression I get is that, that Siberia is the only thing of any consequence on that moon anyway. Uh, yeah. Because they were searching and searching for it, and it was just nothing, 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 and then they find it when they were flying around. So, yeah. But I mean, you know, everyone in, in Siberia, like you know, they're, they're all you know beings one way or another. Lister would feel on his conscience the death of every single one of those, and he doesn't mention it. Um, he's got a lot of other things to deal with for sure, but um, yeah, it's a bit um, slapdash. I don't know. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it, and then. Um... Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> oh well, I mean, oh, you well. know, they were they were all um, probably guilty. <laughs> Some of them, maybe. <laughs> but this bit, then Lister comes back to life again, which is good, is uh, good. because other Lister is performing CPR, and they manage to escape. There, this whole chapter is basically them escaping and us realizing that uh, alternative Lister. Is not very nice. Um, International Debris says, This is the first real taste of how different Lister 2 is. And he's a fucking prick. <laughs> Beautifully put. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's weird because it's he's so different. Like, to me, it's not even that, like, you know, he's just a bad version of Lister. He just doesn't feel like Lister at all. He feels like a completely separate person. Who just? Mm. I tell you, what it reminds me of it. Reminds me more of when in Better Than Life, and there's Rimmer with as Trixie, and they're with the two Jimmy and whatever his name is, and it's like those people where they're just they're just ridiculously kind of cartoon villains. Yeah, cartoon villains basically, yeah. and it's almost like as if it like just doesn't feel like like it doesn't feel like an alternate version of what we know. It just feels like a completely separate person who doesn't like. It looks like Lister, but you know, could be anyone mm-hmm. it doesn't have to, it just doesn't feel like a lister it feels like a, another person it feels so other i can picture craig doing it yeah that's the thing i can i think craig would have a really good time doing it but it would be craig playing a completely different character that wasn't lister he yeah. wasn't it's play, kind yeah, of he, like yeah. when you look at the the lows and the crew can't believe that that version of them exists or that, that they have that potential inside them it's kind of like that it's just yeah that's that's not lister at all no um, considering you know they're shot from the same gun barrel, and all so we meant to are we, are we meant to envisage a kind of low lister when we think of this guy. I should just make it easier if I do that. Actually, if I if I if, mm. I, if I picture that guy, I could kind of see that. I think because he's just yeah. he's just so he's so diametrically opposite. Yeah, maybe. I imagine just like he looks exactly like real lister, but just as um. Somebody mentioned something about the way that he looks. Pete. Um, it says, Pete Part 3 says, The door opens and two identical heads peered out into the car pound. 
and he that was a quote and he says so this has been bothering me for 26 years the other <laughs> lister is supposed to be bald we are told that the heads are shaved before they enter siberia and they seem to have remained shaven headed for the duration of their sentence based on prose and even the artwork of the book it's unlikely that listers could be mistaken for one another with such a key visual difference i hope that doesn't come up i think <laughs> he's right um he's meant to look completely different so what happens later on in chapter 13 doesn't seem to tally in terms of thing and i thought exactly the same thing there's something mm. really weird about yeah. the way that this is just kind of thrown off as if it's you know just meant to accept it yeah i can't justify that one to be fair i mean it's been bugging pete for 26 years but I, it's not something i've ever picked up on myself good for you and <laughs> <laughs> the thing is right is that the reason this is a problem is not because like you're supposed to have your head shaved to go into Siberia. It's because Lister has such a distinct visual identity with his hair and you can't just regrow a load of dreadlocks mm. in that exact style. So that, I think that's the main problem because it is conceivable that they would let their hair grow in, in Siberia. I could accept yeah. that, but his hair would not have grown in a way that he could get his distinctive style back, you know. Um, yeah in time to, to yeah. pass himself off as Lister, if he so wanted to do that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a few things that evil Lister does that are interesting for various reasons. He, for, for one, uh, one occasion he bangs our Lister's head against the wall repeatedly to punctuate his speech, <laughs> uh, which is something that happened in Infinity. One of the Zed Shift people did that to Rimmer. To Black Arrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> and then... As they're escaping, he arms the guards who are unarmed uh, in order for it to be a fairer competition, which is what the simulants do in Gunman of the Apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To improve their sport, they upgrade Starbug so that they have a fighting chance against them and it ends up leading to their downfall. Psychopath's gonna psychopath. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, his... um, I mean, this comes up later, but his reasoning for all of this is that he, he said he'd gone off his nut because he decided to drink medicinal alcohol during their escape so they break into the medibay and he downs a load of medicinal spirits right yeah <laughs> and that's apparently oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to do all that i was I, I was just drunk because i drank a load of medicinal alcohol but then like you know why did you drink a load of medicinal alcohol yeah. <laughs> you prick. well that, that was the first clue wasn't it when he went and took a massive diversion just to have a drink dave likes the evil Lister. So the gradual realisation that alternate Lister is an arsehole is a genuinely horrible revelation. It feels so wrong that it initially feels hard to accept, but I think that's why it works. This is the guy that everyone loves, the heart of the show and the moral centre of the crew. It's much more good, twistingly horrible for him to be the villain. Which is... Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting it's an interesting spin on the whole you know, the villain is someone you know. Kind yeah. Of thing. Again, it's kind of out of time, again kind of digging from that kind of well of... And I think I would like it more if one of the things I was looking for Red Dwarf to do was to make me um, feel sad. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't think I ever am. But no, I get Dave's point and agree that having a villainous Lister is a good idea and also that it being Lister rather than any of the others is more of an effective thing. It's just that I can't see any semblance of our Lister in this one. That's the problem. It's like, and you mentioned out of time when, you know, they eventually become baddies uh, by their own moral standards they change gradually over time 
but in a way that is entirely believable. Mm. Like, over time, they're so used to having this good life, having gone through everything that they went through for all that time, trapped yeah. on Red Dwarf and then trapped on Starbug, and then all of a sudden they get access to everything they desire. They turn into pricks. I can totally believe that. I can't see how you get two genetically identical Listers that diverge to this, this degree, degree, where Lister becomes this evil and has no redeeming features. On the plus side in this section, um, both International Debris and Dave note, which is something that I also wrote in my notes, the rope had decided to resign as a rope <laughs> is yeah. one of the best. That's good. <laughs> that is a proper <laughs> Grant Naylor type line. <laughs> So, having successfully escaped, um, the two Listers are now camping out, waiting for uh, rescue, and Lister has figured out that old Lister is a baddie, tied him up, and they go through his stuff, his belongings, where Lister finds Crichton's, alternative Crichton's severed arm, Mm -hmm. clutching uh, some galactic coordinates that Lister has kept with him, and it becomes clear that you know Lister killed his crew in order to get these coordinates. So why did he bring the arm? Why didn't he just get the piece of paper? <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's locked shut. Maybe Crichton put a lock on it, you know, and like put a, like a, a grip. But our Lister manages to get the bit of paper out, right? Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, but oh I, fuck it. I, maybe it's psychopaths are gonna psychopath again. Like it's just Lister prized the hand open and unscrolled the paper. Yeah. It sort of seems like a trophy, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's, he's just not one that, care, one that he, he carried with him and like checked in when he went into prison. Yeah. <laughs> Declare yes, this hand. <laughs> yes, I've severed my crewmate's hand. <laughs> but that's not why you're sending me to jail. But um... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is not... it any more different than what happens in Inquisitor? Hang <laughs> <laughs> on, we can use this. <laughs> yeah. It just needs a bit of paper. It's a fine line. Uh, also mentioned in this section, one of the things is an old rad pistol, which would one day come back to haunt him. So now they're pointing out yeah, the Chekhov's, Chekhov's gun. I was going to say, this is, in my notes, is that which one day would come back to haunt him, because Chekhov's gun trope can sometimes be too subtle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is so unnecessary, to the point where you would think like that's a, a first draft line, right? where you just there's a note in the margin that says remove the second half of this sentence it's, just, it's almost like a reminder for him to like oh you need to do something with the <laughs> don't forget to do that put a pin in it so we've got hang on let check <clears throat> check off check we've got Magruder <laughs> we've got um, a Astro no what the was Astro it strippers. Astro Strippers and um, <laughs> I've just remembered what they're used for and we've got uh, the Rad Pistol so there's our there's yeah. our Check off check. There's also the volumes of the history of the belt from the last chapter. Yeah, which gets fired in this chapter. Yeah. And another thing about the Rad Pistol, as well as being a Chekhov's gun, Rad Pistol means radiation pistol, but it doesn't actually establish that here. Mm. It just says Rad Pistol. Yeah. We spe- we're not- I only know that what a Rad Pistol is because I've read the rest of the book. Yeah. I mean, maybe later on it, it gives it a bit more context, but... Um... It does, but here it's uh, yet another abbreviation. Yeah, again, yeah. Uh, that becomes nonsense. It's presented as, as if, yeah, the assumption is yeah, you should know what it supposed is. to know what a red pistol is. It's just, it's just a normal pistol that looks really cool. <laughs> There's also another one which involves a Thurston J connector, which was something to do with. It was where they're trying to connect up the Oblivion virus to the mm. telegraph pole, right? And he attached it to a Thurston J connector. I googled what that was and it doesn't fucking exist <laughs> so I have no idea why that was even a thing 
So it sounds like something that would exist. knowledge of something that doesn't exist. Like a J connector sounds like, yeah. Yeah, it's just a bit of techno bubble. Yeah, it sounds like something you would use to change the angle in which you were plugging in the cable. But that's a um, that's something yeah. else entirely. Something that you'd use to reverse the polarity of the neutron. <laughs> this is when Lister escapes by physically sticking his feet into the fire to burn. Yeah, which is insane. That's horrible. <laughs> well, he is insane. Obviously, mm. he is insane. Yeah, yeah. In order to escape his bones, he literally <laughs> throws himself into the fire. Do whatever it takes. But then it it works. Because in the next chapter we established that he's taken Arlister's place. So as he managed to burn the fuck out of his arms and legs, his hands and feet, and yet still overpower Arlister and bury him alive. <laughs> yeah. So Arlister is now buried alive, dead again. <laughs> it's, a, it's the second time this chapter, Jesus Christ. Does that explain why this Lister is accepted as being... The true list because he because he's injured himself so. Much oh, he's got burns. His hair could have burned yeah. off. Yeah, is that the inference, or is that just us? Rec- is that us making it make sense? Yeah, I think yeah, we can, you can headcanon it that way. Yeah, it's, so it's he's an given easy himself such injuries that he's obviously recognisably Lister, but any differences can be explained, explained away yeah. of like it was a consequence of of that injury. It, it would take a lot like, of convincing because that it, it's not like the crew know that there isn't a, an alternate lister somewhere. So like they, they should have a tiny bit of incredulity about this situation, even if it's a subtle incredulity. You know, then mm. again, you yeah, we've also had the thing where the, they've had an alternate lister before and they had their doubts because it was a polyball. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. and in the whole of the canon, we've had sirens at this point as well with the two listers. Yeah. Also, Kachansky should totally have known soon as it was. Uh, what what was it? He says that he uh, he doesn't like honey on his porridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like immediately, that should just be like if you're dealing with a situation where there's an alternate version of someone and they suddenly surprise you <laughs> with an opinion. <laughs> it's either that or they've got a moustache or an eye patch. <laughs> Flexo. <laughs> Kachansky hadn't noticed that Lister was suddenly wearing an eye patch. <laughs> Lister stroked his goatee. <laughs> but no, we get the kind of the origin story here of the point where the two Listers diverged, uh, which yeah. is uh, to do with foster parents. So our Lister went with the Wilmots, um, Gary and his wife, <laughs> evidently. Uh, I wonder if that's an actual reference to Gary Wilmot. <laughs> it might be. It's such an unusual surname to pick. I wonder if Thornton as well, because Thornton is mentioned, and there's also a Thornton in Series 8, and I wonder if they're based off possibly the same person. Mr. Thornton? Read them yeah. their rights. Yeah. Mr. Shouty. So, yeah, Alternative Lister chose the Thorntons, even though he knew that the Wilmots were nicer people, but the Thorntons were rich. And so it kind of implies that whatever the difference was between them had already happened by that point because it wasn't having that foster parents that made them different it just that's what made the alternative lister terrible a terrible person (laughs) is his terrible foster parents but they it it wasn't like fate decided you know he was randomly assigned or like someone else made a decision to put one lister there and the other lister there alternate lister made that decision for himself yeah also he made the decision based on i mean you could maybe uh, just ascribe this to the fact that he was a child, but I think already he's already showing some, not, like I guess, disassociative behavior, or just like you know, like making a, a decision based on manipulation. Mm. I can I can manipulate these people, or like I can manipulate this situation better. 
it does say that it towards the back end of that little section, it just says he shushed an inner voice that pleaded with him to make the right choice. Right, and that yeah. seems to be like the defining difference between our list. Yeah, and Doug is writing yeah. this as the nexus point, right? I, I th- I'm pretty I think sure. So. Like he's writing. Well, this it, as it's the... like it's the equivalent of Rimmer being held back a year. Yeah, yeah. Which is what makes the difference between Arnold and Ace, but it's crucially that's a decision that's not made by yeah. Rimmer. That's a decision that's made yeah. for him. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, My foster parents, the wrong foster parents. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, sure enough, the history of the belt pays off in this section. Yeah. <laughs> as um, Crichton finds out what the coordinates are all about and basically sets up the plot of the rest of the book, <laughs> that they're, they're going to find the DNA machine <laughs> rather than it being something that they stumble across in the TV series. This is something that they're actively looking for at this point. Yeah. So, my big problem with this section, the end of this chapter, which goes into the next, uh, the whole of the rest of the part, the genome of all known DNA, or to use its acronym, G-O-D. In what world does genome of all known DNA abbreviate to G-O-D? <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't. Because you, you include of, but then completely remove all and known. <laughs> you can, you can get away. Genome of DNA is not a good acronym because yeah. genome is dna it should be guacked you could get you could get away with like dropping all from an acronym but like you say you can't do that when you're including of yeah of is a smaller word and yeah it's bollocks and it yeah this whole book is awful access to god would make him god oh is that what it is because the yeah mm-hmm. god do you see the do, do you see so you know, Lister's obviously been even maybe even more corrupted by the thought of of you know getting to this, um, because and it's actually quite eerie. But right at the end of this chapter, Crichton is very deadpan and serious about like we need to get hold mm. of this, and you know you can tell that it'd be a corrupting thought, a corrupting thing. And Crichton being so keen to just immediately dive into it kind of mm. shows that really you yeah. should be cautious. Well, I can't remember how it pans out. But obviously I know that DNA happens and Crichton becomes human. Is this him thinking, like, is this Crichton plotting? If we find this, I could turn myself into a human. I can't remember whether that's the case in the in the book no. or whether, like in the TV series, it's an accident. L- um, I've literally only just remembered that DNA happens when you mentioned it. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's clues in this. Well, there <laughs> are clues, yeah, but I just had to, like, again, like, this book exits my brain as soon as I finish reading it, and it's, yeah. I just, I, there's nothing I can do about that. It's all the snuggerafts. And spit roast. <laughs> Is Crayon saying that he would want to do this? Not yet. Oh, okay, sorry. That's what I'm saying, but no. the line right at the end of Crichton staring at him for too long and agreeing that they should get hold of the um, the god thing. Oh, apologise. Right, okay. Is, yeah, that, that's... is that Crichton... Is that foreshadowing for Crichton's actions yeah. later down the line? No, I, I think that that's him sussing Lister out. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I genuinely saw that as being that's him running this course to, to see what will happen. Because I think he's, he's sussed Lister out already. Because he says he stares at him too long without smiling. Like he's seen something mm. in him just gone... So yeah, I read that as Crichton okay. being very serious about the implications it's e- of this yeah. thing. It's either Crichton himself acting suspiciously or Crichton being suspicious of yeah. Alt Lister. Okay, that okay. It's interesting because I, I read it as being him being suspicious of Lister. So Well we'll find out in the next edition of the Dwarfcast book. In about fourteen million years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course there's still a lot of business 
on this dwarf cast as well we've got small points to look at we've got small passages to open up so let's have a little bit of music and then do those things Okay, so first of all, let's examine the small points of our listeners slash readers. Dave says it's really nice to have a Crichton Kachansky relationship that isn't marred by all the awful jealousy stuff of Series 7 or the awful sexual politics of Series 8. They work quite well together here and it feels like there's some mutual respect and competence. Admittedly, not many laughs, which maybe wouldn't be great for the TV sitcom version, but on the whole, it's a lot more mature than any of the Crichton Kachansky stuff seen on screen. It's interesting because it's not fitting for the Red Dwarf of Series 7 and 8 but it's very fitting for the later Red Dwarf stuff where it's a little bit more, where it could be a little bit more serious, like The Promised Mm. Land, where there's a bit more chemistry going on between characters. I think that is where Crichton and Kachansky could easily have dialogue that would work in that context. It could work better now than it would then. Yeah. I'd be interested to see Kachansky um, in modern modern Dwarf and what would be done with the character because it would be something very different to 7 and 8. You can count on that. You'd hope. Yeah. Another comment by Dave. The gag with them turning up on the desert planet in the wrong clothes is a funny one, and given how visual it is, I'm surprised it never made it into the show. Uh, to which Pete Part 3 pointed out they almost did it in Nanaki, but just did it in dialogue instead. Yeah. They almost had uh, Kachansky in this to show, but it was too sandy. So uh, someone That's someone making a bad call where there's, this time it's... Well, in the, in the TV show, it's Kachansky not trusting what the computer says. Yeah. Actually, it's completely flipped as well, isn't it? Because it's the idea of them dressing for snow and it being a desert planet, rather than it being like dressing yeah. for a desert planet and it being dressed for snow. I do have a small point, actually, regarding the, the Gelf dialogue. You can tell at what point new dialogue is added. <laughs> it, is, it does look... Because obviously he is... Doug has literally lifted the Kinitawari language like verbatim yeah. from mm. the TV show, where it's recognized even to the point and i genuinely don't know whether this is just me tr- like thinking about it too hard but when someone said aggie gone in emo Hawk, <laughs> i always assumed they were talking about the oxygen generation unit because it's so similar it's like og unit like aggie aggie gone. Gone. Yeah. i was thought yeah. that's what it was but they've kept it in here anyway so it doesn't it yeah seems you're weird. right almost certainly aggie gone is meant to be oxygen yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's all he also makes a point of saying it in the sentence as if it's like a you know like a Romaji version of the you know in Japanese when you say a word and it's written it's just an English word said in you know yeah yeah in Japanese terms then um, but yeah it's kept it in and it's just weird and then you can tell when everything starts to divert from normal because it's just Doug slamming his head against the keyboard again <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah, Doug it's it's the previous Kinesawari dialogue was supposed to be spoken performed so it, it's in a way that it's pronounceable it's phonetic so yeah. that robert and ainsley harriet and stephen wickham can say it whereas the stuff that's just for the book it's just a mess of mostly consonants and there's no way of actually pronouncing it stephen wickham and ainsley harriet what is this show <laughs> together at last in 1993 you know you just accept something for like for so long yeah. and then you suddenly examine no it pointed out how ridiculous it is <laughs> Oh, no, not forgetting, Jimmy Nail was one of the girls. Oh, of well. course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dwarf facts. Never forget. I have a small point. In Cyber Hell, in the one that Lister first ends up in, that's actually really nice. He has some Jim Daniels bourbon. <laughs> so at some point in the future, Jack Daniels and Jim Bean uh, <laughs> must have a merger. Yeah. <laughs> 
Because Jack Bean doesn't sound quite right. In fact, Jack <laughs> Bean just sounds like some sort of fairy tale. <laughs> Jack and the Beams talk. <laughs> beam. <laughs> beam. I mean, you've written a book where you mention Coca-Cola and Pepsi explicitly. But why be shy about naming Jack Daniels? Or Jim Beam. Could be a knockoff. It could yeah, be a knockoff. Yeah, like, okay, you know, like there you go. Coca Cola or. <laughs> Roller Cola. Right, it's time to display our small passages. And I think it's me to start this week because mine comes from uh, right towards the start of our little section. Mine is the uh, initial description of Lister's hell when he's in the right one. He turned the clock round and round. All the time, its grotesque buzz burrowing through his eyes. It made his toothache worse, and the boil on the inside of his left nostril throbbed more than ever. After what seemed like an eternity, longer even than the time it used to take to get served in an electrical store on a Saturday afternoon, (laughs) he arrived at the conclusion that there was no off button. He hurled the clock to the floor and smashed it to death with the heel of his shoe. Or thought he had. But no, just as he was climbing back into bed, the clock lurched back into life and vibrated so furiously it appeared as if it were actually moving towards him across the matted green carpet that stuck to his feet like Velcro. He decided the only solution was to evacuate the room. He closed the door behind him and found himself in the kitchen. The smell of dead gravy sodomised both his nostrils. Leaning towers of dirty washing were piled on every available worktop, a metropolis of plate-squashed, fossilised food leaked fresh vileness. He skated his way across the cooking fat-splashed floor and opened the fridge. The smell of rotten warm cabbage and decomposing sprouts karate-chopped the back of his throat. Green milk pussed out of the top of bottles, and something that looked dangerously close to an orangutan fetus was in a bowl-covered in cling film. Well, he thought, I've lived in worse places than this. In fact, by my standards, the fridge and kitchen are pretty tidy. <laughs> blokes I mean yeah there's just it, like everything about that it does sound like like if everything just I, I, it's I don't the know whether it's the sign of my age but yeah it's the, it's the, it's the everything covered in a thin film of grease and I just it, there's something really fucking icky about the whole thing yeah like the, the carpet with stuff in it it's just like ah it just everything about it just makes me feel really ill yeah very pleasant reading. Mixed experience. in with a with a couple of little Doug getting out his uh, frustrations with modern life and <laughs> yeah, it's like the line about getting served on a Saturday in an electrical shop. Also, that is a really specific thing that I feel like is only a thing in an Oxford Street or TCR. You know, like going to a co- like that's the only time where like an electrical store would really be that rammed. Like an electrical store, literally anywhere else in any other town. It's probably I've got got a more reasonable level of busyness to it. You know what I mean? Like, such a London thing. Anyway, show us your passage, Capsi. Okay, this is mid jailbreak. Uh, a little bit of comedy for you. Oh, for a little help! He looked across at Saliva, who was busy trying to create a massive six-inch spit bubble. How do mechanoids? Like small point. How do mechanoids <laughs> create spit bubbles? Like think on that one. Uh, yeah. The Browns are going to have to do something quite sensational with their last one. <laughs> his infectious giggle rocking his shoulders back and forth while Headless was fumbling blindly for an ammo cartridge he was trying to insert into his bazookoid. List aside. Let me. Headless gave him a thumbs up sign. Guards on the left and guards on the right. Anybody got any bright ideas? Headless animatedly nodded his neck. You got an idea, Headless? Well, let's hear it. He can't talk. 
Headless pointed to a wall on the far side of the corridor. You want to know what's in that direction? Another nod. A wall. Headless held up his thumbs again. What's your plan? <laughs> Run through the wall? Another nod. Do you know what the wall is made of? Headless shook his neck. Do you care? <laughs> Headless shook his neck. Well, if you think you can do it, you go for it, guy. Headless sank into the back of the recess and then catapulted himself across the corridor and towards the wall. Lister closed his eyes. There was a sound of smashing masonry. He looked up to see a haze of clearing smoke and a pile of broken bricks in front of a hole roughly the shape of Headless. <laughs> Good old Headless. I do like that. I do like that bit. That, that, feels, very, that feels very Doug, does that. That, yeah. whole, that whole exchange does feel very Doug Dwarf. I really like the double thumbs up. <laughs> like, <"Yay!" laughs> like not only is he happy about it, he's really happy about it. I like this that we that like the the story the untold storytelling of Headless's past is that we've got a pretty good idea now of why he's headless. <laughs> it's nice. I can I don't know whether it's just because it's a mechanoid, but I like I picture all of that being Robert performing that yeah. so i can just picture robert doing that that exaggerated <laughs> yeah. uh, shaking or nodding of the neck it's kind of like in cured again which is like the fourth time we've mentioned cured in this <laughs> in this podcast the, the bit where Crichton they find Crichton's body oh, and he yeah. does a lot of headless stuff there is uh, that's probably what i'm thinking of yeah, yeah. oh yeah the, the whole charades thing of trying to explain yeah. yeah what happened to his head yeah. and finally it's time it's for Danny's me. passage. So after that lovely piece of prose, we're now going to listen to Lister die in slow motion. Oh, no. <laughs> he opened his mouth, ready to suck an entire continent of air when something happened, something that neutered his soul. Four inches from the surface, he started to go up. Four inches short. Four lousy inches. Now what? Another go? He didn't have the strength. He didn't have the time. Maybe ten seconds... 10 seconds before he blacked out. 10 seconds to do something. What was that word Crichton used to use? That special way of thinking. When you thought about the problem in a new way. Turned upside down and took a look at it from there. 6 seconds. Lack of oxygen had fogged his mind. The word. What was the word? Was it? It didn't matter. You should do that word anyway. Do it. Do that word. Whatever it was. (laughs) What was it? Lateral thinking. That was the word. Think laterally. Okay. That's what he would do. A head voice started to talk to him. What do you need to survive? Oxygen. Where's the oxygen? On the surface. So what's the problem? No strength. Can't reach. So what's your only alternative then? There isn't one. Think. Can't think. Too tired. Think laterally. Laterally. Think laterally. Uh, okay, I've got it. Become a fish. Lateral, but stupid. Again. An alternative to getting oxygen from the surface. Come on. A solution. What is it? Find another source of oxygen somewhere. Good. Somewhere I can reach. You're cooking with gas. Where? Where's the only place you can reach? The roof. Break the roof. The water will be sucked out through the hole and the remaining oxygen will be able to flow up to me. But I'll tell you, tell you what it does remind me of. It reminds me of confidence. Yeah. Like Lister is not a stupid person. He's a very logical clever person he just doesn't use it as much as he should he's got brains man brains to be used exactly that and like with, with the thing with confidence where he's like where did he hide him and he's making him think through his own process and he does eventually work it out on his own he doesn't need anyone's help to do it he can do it but obviously you know the threat of death yeah. is yeah. a bit more pressing well yeah confidence is playing the same role as this inner voice here 
And as confidence is just an extrapolation of part of Lister's psyche, that's exactly what it makes is. perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so stressful to read that bit, though. I know I mentioned yeah. it. It is because, like I said, yeah, you imagine all that happens really sort of, you know, and the fact that he does actually, that it still doesn't work or it doesn't work quite quick enough or something. It's yeah. just like that. It's just, it just seems so bleak and ah! It's maddening. Uh, we have one more comment, actually, that we can bring in here because International Debris pointed out the line about um, turning to a fish <laughs> being a funny line and possibly a precursor to Series 8's dog joke. Yeah, the less funny oh, yeah. dog joke. Become a dog. <laughs> A dog. A dog. So, I think we're done with uh, this bit of Last Human, at least. Uh, so there's only one part left. Uh, part three, The Rage, uh, which takes up exactly half of the entire fucking book. <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and too much to do in one, so we're going to have to split it. Yeah, yeah we're not, not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> we're splitting it roughly in two uh, so there'll be two more uh, podcasts about Last Human, you lucky people. Uh, and the next edition will cover chapters 1 to 10 of part 3. Uh, that's chapters 1 to 10. Uh, so get reading and get your comments in on the article for this podcast over at www.ganymede.tv. In the meantime, our next podcast will be the long-awaited commentary for series 12, episode 3, Time Wave. So good luck with that. Cultural Marxism, yeah. ahoy! <laughs> <laughs> if you just can't wait for that, uh, then don't forget to follow us on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, stay home, stay safe, stay frosty, stay another day. Stacey's mum has got it going on. And as always... <laughs> Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Yeah, maybe they're just, at this stage with Rimmer, they're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, what you say, so. I can't be asked having the conversation, yeah. to be honest. Kelsa Priest. <laughs> Kelsa, please.